Okay, welcome you guys. Welcome, welcome, and um, and shalom as always. Great to see y'all uh, tonight. We're going to have some uh, some very interesting uh, things to talk about, and I apologize for the difficulties. Um, yeah. So hey, I mean we're live, and this is what happens when we do live video, right? So thank you for your patience. Thank you for your understanding. Uh, I th think we got everything covered now. All right. So let's see what we got here on the chat. We have. Have one John two twenty says shalom. Good evening. Byron says shalom. Calamento shalom to all. The great seven shalom everyone. And uh, Psalm ninety four says shalom everyone. Uh, let's see what else we got here. So Abril says shalom. Yes, welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome. Great to see you all. Psalm one nineteen. Hey. Everyone. Everyone, I'm excited for tonight's video. Hey, good to see you. Hope you're having an awesome evening there. And Byron, uh, let me see here. Yeah, we got lots of people here saying there's no sound. Again, I apologize. Okay, Francis. Hello, Francis. Good to see you. Yes. And also, the Great Deception says, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So tonight we are getting into the legends of the Jews, the last part of the ch of chapter one of volume three, talking about Miriam's well. Something very interesting because we don't read this at all in the scriptures. Also, Amalek's defeat. And if we have time, we will get into a little bit of uh, Jethro as well and how he was the first one to basically set up the institution of the Sanhedrin, all that kind of thing. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully we don't have any more technical problems. And thank you guys again for your patience and, um, and understanding here. So yes, let's get right into it. This is the uh, Legends of the Jews, Miriam's Well. And again, this is about maybe the th last quarter of chapter one of volume three of the Legends of the Jews. It says, relieved as they were of all the cares of substances, substance, subsistence, all of these different words. I'm not, and this is an older book, by the way, like a hundred years old. So but some of these words are a little bit uh, uncommon. Through the gift of manna, it was plainly the duty of the Israelites to devote themselves ex exclusively to the study of the Torah. When, therefore, they slackened in the performance of this duty, punishment in the form of lack of water immediately overtook them. See, now we don't read this either in the scripture. We, we read about the lack of water, but not the reason why. Continuing here, this was the first time that they actually experienced this want, for at Mara, Nothing more than alarm that this need might come upon them had caused them to murmur and complain. In their distress, they once more unreasonably cast reproaches upon their leader and disputed with them, saying, Wherefore is there, why is this happening, children, that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children? And our cattle with thirst? Moses replied, As often as you quarrel with me, you tempt God, but God performs wonders and excellent deeds for you. As often as you dispute with me, that is 
name may be may sound in glory throughout the world. In spite of the injury they had done done him, Moses prayed to God that he might aid them in their distress and also stand by them. O Lord of the world, said he, I am surely doomed to die. You be not to be offended with them, but if I obey your words, I shall certainly be killed by them. God, however, replied, Try to act like me. As I return good for evil, so do, so return to them good for evil, and forgive their trespasses. Go on before the people, and we shall see who dares touch you. Hardly had Moses shown himself to the people when all of them rose reverently from their seats, whereupon God said to Moses, How often have I told you not to be angry with them, but to lead them as a shepherd leads his flock? It is for their sake that I have set you on this height, and only for their sake will you find grace, goodwill, and mercy in my sight. Then God bade him go with some elders to the to the rock on Horeb and fetch water out of it. The elders were to accompany him there that they might be convinced that he was not bringing water from a well, but smiting it from a rock. To accomplish this miracle, God bade him smite the rock, rock with his rod and the people labored under the impression that this rod could only bring destruction for through its agency, Moses had brought the ten plagues upon Egyptians in Egypt and, and, the Red, and at the Red Sea. Now they were to see that it could work good also. Upon God's bidding, Moses told the people to choose from which rock they wished water to flow. And hardly had Moses touched with his sapphire rod. This is interesting. Sapphire rod. You know, again, we, this is not anything that you would expect, right? This is not anything you would expect or read uh, in in the uh, uh, in the book of Exodus or in the book of Numbers or any other in the Torah. Sapphire rod. So hardly Moses had touched with his sapphire rod the rock which they had chosen when plenteous water flowed out flowed from it. The spot where this occurred, God called Massa and Meribah. Because Israel had there tried their God, saying, If God is Lord over all, as over us, if he satisfies our needs and will further show us that he knows thoughts, then we will serve him, but not otherwise. The water that flowed for them on this spot served not only as a relief for their present need, but on this occasion there was revealed to them a well of water, which did not abandoned them in all their 40 years wandering, but accompanied them on all their miracles. God wrought this great miracle for the merits of the prophetess Miriam, wherefore also it was called Miriam's well. But his, but his well dates back to the beginning of the world, for God created it on the second day of creation. And at one time it was in the possession of Abraham. It was this same well that Abraham demanded back from Abimelech, king of the Philistines, after 
the king's servants had violently taken away, taken it away. But when Abimelech pretended not to know anything about it, saying, I, I did not know who has done this thing, Abraham said, you and I will send sheep to the well, and he shall be declared the rightful owner of the well, for whose sheep the water will spout forth to water them. And Abraham, or continued Abraham, from that same well shall the 70, 70th generation after me, the wanderers in the desert, draw their supply. This well is in the shape of a sieve-like rock, out of which water gushes forth as from a spout. It followed them on all their wanderings up hill and down dale. And wherever they, they halted, it halted too. And it settled opposite the tabernacle. Thereupon, the leaders of the twelve tribes would appear, each with his staff, and chant these words to the well. Spring up, O well, unto it, nobles of the people, digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. Then the water would gush forth from the depths of the well and shoot up high as pillars, discharge itself into great streams that were navigable. And on these rivers, the Jews sailed, the, sailed to the ocean and hauled all, all the world therefrom. The different parts of them were separated by these rivers so that women visiting each other were obliged to make use of ships. Then the water discharged itself beyond the encampment, where it surrounded a great plain, in which grew every conceivable kind of plant and tree, and these trees, owing to the miraculous water, daily bore fresh fruits. This well brought fragrant herbs with it. Women had no need of perfumes on the march, for the herbs they gathered served this purpose. This well, therefore, threw down soft, fragrant kinds of grass that served as pleasant couches for the poor, who had no pillows or bedclothes. Upon the entrance to the Holy Land, this well disappeared and was hidden in a certain spot of the Sea of Tiberias. Standing upon Carmel over the sea, one could notice there a sieve-like rock, and that it that it uh, that it that is the well of Miriam. Once upon a time, it happened that a leper bathed at this place of the Sea of Tiberias. And hardly had he come in contact with the waters of Miriam's well that he was instantly healed. Pool of Siloam, doesn't it? Before we go on to the next uh, section here, let's see what we got. We got Vinny. Welcome, Vinny. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Thumbs up. Uh, all right, good. Awesome. So let's read the next. The next um, Section, Amalek's war against Israel. As a punishment because they had not had sufficient faith in God and had doubted whether he could fulfill all their wishes and had grown negligent in the study of the Torah and in the observance of the laws, God turned Amalek against 
them during their sojourn in Rephidim, where they had committed these sins. God dealt with them as did that man with his son, whom he bore through the river on his shoulders. Wherever the child saw something desirable, he said, Father, buy it for me. And he fulfilled the child's wish. After the child had in this way received many beautiful father, he called to a passing stranger with these words, Have you perhaps seen my father? Then indignantly, the father said to his son, Oh, you fool, that sit on my shoulder all that you did desire, did I procure for you? And now do you ask of that man, have you seen my father? Thereupon the father threw the child off his shoulder, and a dog came and bit him. So did Israel fare. When they moved out of Egypt, God enveloped them in seven clouds of glory. They wished for bread, and he gave them manna. They wished for flesh, and he gave them quails. After all their wishes being granted, they began to doubt, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? God answered, You doubt my power? So surely as you live shall, I dis shall you discover it. The dog will soon bite you. Then came Amalek. Hmm, very here, like Amalek, uh, the, the dog is like a symbol of Amalek. This, em, this enemy of Israel bore the name Amalek to, denote, to denote the rapidity with which he moved against Israel. For like a swarm of locusts, he flew upon them, and the name furthermore designates of this enemy who came to suck the blood of Israel. This Amalek was a son of Eliphaz, who was born the firstborn uh, son of Esau. And although the descendants of Jacob had been weaker and more insignificant in earlier times, Amalek had left them in peace. For he had excellent reasons to delay his attack. God had revealed to Abraham that his seed have to serve and the Egyptians and had had put the payment of this debt upon Isaac and after his death upon Jen his descendants the wicked Amalek now said to himself if I destroy Jacob and his descendants God will impose the Egyptians bondage upon me grandson of Esau descendant of Abraham therefore he kept himself in restraint as long as Israel dwelt in Egypt, but only after the bondage predicted to the seed of Abraham had, be, had been served in full did he set out to accomplish the war of annihilation against Israel, which his grandfather Esau had enjoined upon him. Now, that really says a whole lot. I mean, that, that gives us a whole lot more details, again, that we do not, re we do not read in the scriptures. Okay, going nowhere. See, we got a few questions. Yeah, you know, I'll get those questions. Let me let me finish this first, and we'll get to that those questions going nowhere. 
And by the way, welcome. Great to see you. Great to see you. Uh, all right, let's continue here while we're on a roll. No sooner had he heard of Israel's departure from Egypt than he set out against them and met them by the Red Sea. There indeed he could work them no ill, for Moses uttered against him the ineffable name. And so great was his confusion that he was forced to retreat without having effect, affected his object. Then, for some time, he tried lying hidden in ambush. Verse, excuse me, in this wise, molesting Israel, but as length he gave up this game of hide and seek, and with bold front revealed himself as the open enemy of Israel. Not alone, however, did he himself declare war upon Israel, but he also seduced all the, the heathen nations to assist him in his enterprise against Israel. Although these declined to war upon Israel, fearing that they might have to fare like the Egyptians, they agreed to the following plan of Amalek. He said, follow my expedition. Should Israel conquer me, there will still be plenty of time for you to flee. But should success crown my attempt, join your fate to mine in my un undertaking against Israel. So Amalek now marched from his settlement and in Seir, which was no less than 400 parasangs away from the encampment of the Jews. And although five nations, the Hittites, the, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, had their between his home and the camp of the Jews, he insisted on being the first to declare war upon Israel. God punished Israel, who had shown themselves an ungrateful people by sending against them an enemy that was ungrateful too, never recalling that he owed his life to the sons of Jacob, who had who had, had him in their power after their brilliant victory over Esau and his followers. In his expedition against Israel, he made use of his kinsmen, before going over to open attack, he lured many unsuspecting Jews to death by his kindly words. He had fetched from Egypt the table of descent of the Jews. Every Jew had there to mark his name on the bricks produced by him, and these lists lay in the Egyptian archives. Familiar with the names of the different Jewish families, Amalek appeared before the Jewish camp, and calling the people by name, he invited them to leave the camp and come out to him. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, etc. He would call, come out to me, your brother, and transact business with me. Those who answered the enticing call found certain death at, at his hands, and not only did Amalek kill them, but he also mutilated their corpses, following the example of his grandsire Esau, by cutting off a certain part of the body and throwing it toward heaven with the mocking words, Here shall you have, here, excuse me, here shall you, ha shall you have what you desire. In this way, he jeer at the token of the Abrahamic covenant. 
So long as the Jews remained within the encampment, he could, of course, do them no harm. For the cloud enveloped them, and under its shelter there were as well fortified as a city as uh, that is surrounded by a solid wall. The cloud recovered those only who were who were poor. But the unclean had to stay beyond it until they were cleansed by a ritual bath, and these Amalek caught and killed. The sinners too, particularly the tribe of Dan, who were all worshippers of idols, were not protected by the cloud and therefore exposed to the attacks of Amalek. Moses did not himself set out to battle against this dangerous foe of Israel, but he sent his servant Joshua, and for good reasons. Moses knew that only a descendant of Rachel, like the, like the Eph- Ephraimite Joshua, could conquer the descendant of Esau. All the sons of Jacob had taken part in their unbrotherly act of selling Joseph as a slave. Hence, none of their descendants might stand up in battle against the descendant of Esau. For they who had themselves acted only to a brother could hardly hope for God's assistance in a struggle with the unbrotherly Edomites. Only the descendants of Joseph, the man who had been generous and good to his brothers, might hope that God would grant them aid against the unbrotherly descendants of Esau. In many other respects, too, Joseph was the opposite of Esau, and his services stood his descendants in good stead all the in all excuse me in their battles against the descendants of Esau. Esau was the firstborn of his father, but through his evil deeds he lost his birthright. Joseph, on the other hand, was the youngest of his father's sons, and through his deeds he was found worthy of enjoying the rights of a firstborn son. Joseph had faith in resurrection, while Esau denied it. Note, this is this is very interesting. I find this so interesting. How, I believe that what it's talking about here, jo- Joseph had faith in the resurrection in so much as he, he commanded his descendants he commanded his descendants to take care of his remains, to take care of his bones, take care of his remains, and bring it up out of Egypt, back to the promised land. And so in, in, so in doing that, that showed that he had faith in the resurrection. Joseph was looking forward for his body to be resurrected, and he wanted it to be resurrected in the right hands, in the right place. Joseph had faith in the resurrection while Esau denied it. Hence, God had Joseph, the devout one, to visit merited, merited punishment on Esau, the unbelieving. Joseph associated with two wicked men, Ur and Pharaoh. Yet, he did not follow their example. Wow, that's pretty cool because you see, uh, a lot of people today, right? They they have a lot of uh, they let people influence them. They let the world, they let evil people influence them too much. Let's take Joseph's. Let's 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 all of Joseph. 
Okay, follow his example in not following the example of ungodly people. Not letting them influence you. Esau associated with two pious men, his father and his brother, yet he did not follow their example. Hence, said God, Joseph, who did not follow example of wicked men, shall visit punishment upon him who did not follow the example of pious men. Esau soiled his life with lewdness and murder. Joseph was chased and shunned shunned bloodshed. Hence, God delivered Esau's descendants into the hands of Joseph's descendants. And as in the course of history, only the descendants of Joseph were victorious over the descendants of Esau. So will it be in their future at the final reckoning between the angel of Esau and the angels of the Jews. The angel of Reuben will be rebuffed by the angel of Esau with these words, you represent on who had illegal relations with his father's wife. The angels of Simeon and Levi will have will have the listen to this reproof. Are you going to listen to this reproof? You represent people, quote, you represent people who slew the inhabitants of Shechem, unquote. The angel of Judah will be repulsed with the words, quote, Judah had illicit relations with his daughter-in-law, unquote. And the angels of the other tribes will be repulsed by Esau's angel when he points out to them that they all took part in selling Joseph. The only one whom he will not be able to repulse will be Joseph's angel, to whom he will be delivered and by whom he will be destroyed. Joseph will be the flame and Esau the straw burned in the flame. Wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Uh, just before I go on here, we got... Uh, the Tower Times says, praise Yahweh for another day of his great mercy. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The Tower Time. I pray blessings and shalom uh, be yours as well, brothers and sisters. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. For sure. Thank you very much. Multiplied back to you, brother. And welcome as always. Next, in the next section, Amalek defeated. Moses now instructed Joshua in regard to his campaign against Amalek, saying, choose, out, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. The words choose us characterize the modesty of Moses, who treated his disciple Joshua as an equal. In the, this is awesome. I mean, I, I, I got to stop here for a few seconds. This is awesome, right? Because Moses didn't lord it over Joshua. He's like, we are together in this, right? Like, choose us. It's not like, you do this, you do that. No, it's like, choose us. Choose for us. Or let us choose. In these words, he has taught, he has taught us that the honor of our disciples should stand as high as our own. Joshua did not want, did not, excuse me, at first want to expose himself to danger and leave of the cloud. But Moses said to him, abandon the cloud and set forth against Amalek. If ever you do hope to set the crown upon your head. 
He commanded him to choose his warriors from among the pious and God-fearing and promised him he would set a fast day for the following day and implore God in behalf of the good deeds of the patriarchs and the wives of the patriarchs to stand by Israel in this war. Joshua acted in accordance with his commands and set out against Amalek to conquer whom required not only skillful strategy, but also adeptness in the, in the art of magic. For Amalek was a great magician and knew that propitious and unpropitious hour of each individual. And in this way, he reg, uh, regulated his attacks against Israel. He attacked that one in, at night, uh, whose death had been predicted for a night, and him whose death had been preordained for a day, he, he did attack by day. But in this art too, Joshua was his match, for he too knew how to time the attack upon individuals, and he destroyed Amalek, his sons, the armies he himself ended, and those under the leadership of his sons. But in the very heat of battle, Joshua treated his enemies humanely. He did not repay like with like. Far was it from him to follow Amalek's example in mutilating the corp corpses of the enemy. Instead, with a sharp sword, he cut off the enemy's heads, an execution that does not, that does not dishonor. Hmm. Wow, if, if uh, that doesn't dishonor, I mean, I guess Amalek must have been really bad in the, what, what he did with, uh, with, the, uh, with the corpses for sure. Um, yeah. But only through the aid of Moses did Joshua, with his victory, Moses did not go out into battle, but through his prayer and through his influence upon the people in inspiring them with faith, the battle was won. While the battle raged between Israel and Amalek, Moses was stationed on a where, supported by the Levite Aaron and the Judean Hur, the representatives of the two noble tribes, Levi and Judah, he fervently implored God's aid. He said, O Lord of the world, through me have you brought Israel out of Egypt. Through me have you cleft the sea. And through me have you wrought miracles. So do, so do now work miracles for me. And lend me Israel. For I know, for I well know that while all other nations fight only to the sixth hour of the day, this sinful nation stand in battle ranks till sunset. See, the sixth hour of the day would be hour from sunrise, right? So maybe approximately noon. And, but again, the sinful nation stands in battle ranks till sunset. Moses did not consider it sufficient to pray alone to God, but he raised his hands toward heaven as a signal for the whole nation to follow his example and trust in God. As often as, as he then raised his hands to, he to heaven and the people prayed with him, trusting that God would lend them victory, were indeed victorious. 
as often. However, as Moses let down his hands and the people ceased prayer, weakening in their faith God, Amalek conquered. But it was hard for Moses constantly to raise his hands. This was God's way of punishing him for being somewhat negligent in the preparations for war against Amalek. Hence, Aaron and Hur were obliged to hold his arms and assist him in his prayer. As furthermore, he was unable to stand all that time. He seated himself on a stone, disdaining a soft and comfortable seat, saying, So long as Israel is in distress, I shall surely I shall share it with them. At evenfall, the battle was not yet decided. Therefore, Moses prayed to God that he might stay the setting of the sun and thus enable Israel to draw the battle to a close. God granted this prayer, for the sun did not set until Israel had completely destroyed their enemy. Thereupon, Moses blessed Joshua words, quote, Someday the sun shall stand still for your sake, as it did today for mine, unquote. And this blessing was later fulfilled at Gibeon, when the sun stood still to help Joshua in his battle against the Amorites. I do have to say, it's so, so amazing that um, we see so much of this, how God repays, right? God repays good for good. <laughs> you, you, you get what you sow, right? You reap what you sow. You sow good, you get good. You sow evil, you get evil. And you see how this really explains a lot of this. The whole idea is, um, uh, the whole idea here is that God, you know, God repays people for what they, uh, for what they do. And we need to be careful, especially what we do to God's people. A lot of people don't even know who God's people are. Actually, a lot of people today, they hate God's people and they think that they're, just like how it says in the Sibylline Oracles, how the people of Noah's day thought that he was crazy. Uh, this is a frenzy smitten man. Remember that? When we went through the Sibylline Oracles in that one portion. And that's what Second Peter meant when it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Because Noah was preaching righteousness. He was, he was trying to get people to turn to the righteous way. He was trying to get them to sin. He was trying to get to repent. And they thought he was crazy, like the people today think that people are crazy for preaching repentance and against sin and preaching righteousness. Although Amalek had not received the merited punishment from the hands of Joshua, still his enterprise against Israel had not been entirely unavailing. Miraculous exodus of Israel out of Egypt, and especially the cleaving of the sea, had created such alarm among the heathens that none among them had dared to approach Israel. But this fear vanished as soon as Amalek attempted to compete in battle with Israel. Although it was terrible beaten, still the fear of the inaccessibility of Israel was gone. It was with Amalek as with that foolhardy white who 
uh, plunged into the scalding hot tub. He scalded himself terribly, yet the tub became cold through his plunge into it. Hence, God was not content with the punishment Amalek received in the time of Moses, but swore by his throne and by his right hand that he would never forget Amalek's misdeeds. That in this world, as well as time of the Messiah, he would visit punishment upon him, would completely exterminate him in the future world. So long as the seed of Amalek is, the face of God is as recovered and will only then come to view. When the seed of Amalek shall have been entirely exterminated, God had at first left the war against Amalek in the hands of his people. Therefore, he bade Joshua, the future leader of the people, never to forget the war against Amalek. And if Moses had listened intently, he would have perceived from this command of God that Joshua was destined to lead the people into the promised land. But later, when Amalek took part in the destruction of Jerusalem, God himself took up the war against Amalek, saying, By my throne I vow not to leave a single descendant of Amalek under the heavens. Yea, no one shall even be able to say that this sheep or that other belong to an uh, to an Amalekite. God bade Moses impress upon the Jews to repulse no heathen should he desire conversation, but never to accept an Amalekite as a proselyte. It was in consideration of this word of God that David slew the Amalekite, who announced to him the death of Saul and Jonathan. For he saw in him only a heathen, although he had, he appeared in the guise of a Jew. Part of the blame for the destruction of Amalek falls upon his father, Eliphaz. He used to say to Amalek, my son, do you, do you indeed know who will possess this world and, and the future world? Amalek paid no attention to, his, to the future fortune of Israel, and his father urged it, urged it no strongly upon him, although it was his duty to instruct his son clearly and fully. He should have said to him, quote, My son Israel will possess this world as well as the future world. Dig wells then for their use and build roads for them so you may be judged worthy to share in the future world. But as Amalek had not been sufficiently instructed by his father, in his wantonness he undertook to destroy the whole world. God, who tries the reins and hearts, said to him, Oh, you fool! I created you after this, after all, all the seventy nations. But for your sins, you, ha- you shall be the first to descend into hell. Hmm. To glorify the victory over Amalek, Moses built an altar which God called my miracle. For the miracle God wrought against Amalek in the war of Israel was, as it were, a miracle for God. For so long as the Israelites dwell in sorrow, God feels with them, and for a 
and a joy for Israel is a joy for God. Hence, too, the, the miraculous victory over Israel's foe was a victory for God. So let me see, Lord willing, we'll get into throw here in just a little bit. Uh, we've got a visitor on. Uh, welcome over there on Twitch, we guy 13 All right, good stuff. Welcome. Oh, that just it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it appeared to be gibberish, but actually, it was like um, some uh, some graphical uh, thing here. It just didn't come across. Sorry about that. Okay. Let's go into some of these questions here before we get too far. Going nowhere, did John the Apostle write Revelation or was it another John? I, I do believe it was John the Apostle. Are angels male or female or are they androgynous? Uh, androgy and, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, difficult to answer because, it, I mean, <laughs> how do you define it? Um, I would say they are as male as God is male. Okay. Um, going nowhere says, again, Christopher, have you gotten really mad at someone while, while you were having a theological argument with them? Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting mad at someone when you're having a theological argument with them. Uh, it's just important to control yourself, that's all. I mean, look at, you know, Yeshua got really angry with people, especially, I mean, f forget about the clearing of the temple. Read John chapter 8, like verses, um, what is it now, verses 12, right through to the end of the chapter. Read John chapter 8. You'll see uh, a lot of Jesus certainly wasn't nice to them. Let me put it that way. Certainly wasn't nice to them. He wasn't all nicey-nicey. He wasn't seeker-sensitive. Great deception. Do you ever study Jubilees? Yes. Yes, I do. I have personally went over Jubilees. Uh, I don't know how many times. I haven't counted. Um, many times. And also, we have delved into the Jubilees uh, on our live streams as well. And Lord willing, we will do that some more as well. Have I ever been angry at God? I, I don't think, I, I can't say I was. I can't really say I was. I mean, maybe, maybe I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. I, 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 not to the point where I, it's, it's, it's like prominent in my memory. Let, let, me, let me put it that way. Yeah, the great deception says, do not sin in your anger. Yeah, that's it. It's not wrong to be angry. Angry It's actually good to be angry at, the, at evil. Evil as defined in the Holy Scriptures. Because I, I got to say that, because today, good is evil and evil is good. Okay? Evil as defined in the Holy Scriptures. Anything that transgresses the law of God. Yes, we should be angry against anything like that or anything that propagates that. Paulina, welcome by the way. 
Are you familiar with Second Esdras? Yes, I am uh, quite familiar with Second Esdras. Actually, if you check out my channel, um, Second Esdras is like the. It used to be the, the the highest viewed video that I have on my channel. I think it's now the second highest, but it is very very popular. What I did was I I read through the entire book of Second Esdras, and I posted it on my YouTube channel in audiobook form. So I read through it word for word. I don't give any kind of commentaries on it. I don't, I, you know, I don't uh, interrupt the reading at all. Read through the whole entire book. Uh, if that, if you're interested in that, you know, make, you know, make sure you go over there and uh, actually just go, you're already here, right? You're already in on YouTube, but uh, just to go into my archive videos and uh, just search for um, Second Esdras on my channel and you'll find it. Second Esdras Read Along Audiobook. I think that's the title of it. Second Esdras Read Along Audiobook. Yeah, it's one of my most popular videos on this channel. Hate evil, thirst for righteousness. Yes, you know, you got a lot of people today talking about hate. Well, you know, people who are, are people who are so-called against hate, it's impossible to people. <laughs> I find the people that are supposed to be against hate or say that they are, they, they, they hate, really, they really do hate. Everybody hates something. Everybody hates something or someone, but everybody hates something. It's just the question is, what do you hate? That's the question. To claim that you don't hate anything is absolute, total fantasy. That's a lie. It, you know, you come you come across anybody who claims to be someone who never hates, you come across a hypocrite for sure. Byron says, "Do you think it's a sin to slam a door, or punch a wall when you're angry?" Huh, well, um, depends whose door or whose wall you punch, right? <laughs> and it depends if you do. You know, I don't think that you should be angry enough to do harm to yourself. Um, I wouldn't go to my neighbor's house and punch their, punch their door in because I'm like, you know, it depends, but, um, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to cause any damage to anybody else's property. And you certainly don't want to cause any damage to yourself or anybody else. Um, so, you know, if you do, let me, let me just put it this way. If you cause any damage to anybody else's property or anybody else, like for that matter, um, then yes, it is a sin. First. Um, or the great deception says sin is the transgression of the law. First John three, four. It's very, very, I find it just amazing in not in a good way. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you read about it in, in the Bible. It says Jesus marveled at their unbelief or marveled at their, you know, uh, mar like they're so dull or so, you know, in the same way, I'm amazed. I marvel at how a lot of Christians redefine what sin is. It's like, well, Sin is only just rejecting Jesus. And if you accept Jesus, then you're, that's it. That's the only sin that, you, that, you know, there's no other sin. If you, you know, that's, that's the be all end all of the definition of sin. If you, if you reject Jesus, that's sin. If you accept Jesus, then you have no sin, period. Which is very misleading, to say the least. Very misleading. Mark, shalom, Mark. 
Going Nowhere says, I always thought there's a difference between disliking and hating, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, it was a fine line between the two. I mean, you can say I strongly dislike, but to that, to some, to somebody else, that could be hate, right? Uh, it's a fine line between the two. I hear you, though. I, I know what you mean. And The Great Deception says, I agree. Thank you very much, the Great Deception. Okay, so uh, let's get on. Let's read Jethro. Uh, I believe that's the last. That's the last. Um, yeah, that's the last section of this chapter. The next chapter is, is talking about you know Jethro's advice and how to, um, you know how to handle the people of Israel, basically to set up the Sanhedrin, set up the Jewish court. But let's read this, and again, any comments, questions, make make sure you put them in the in the chat. Feel free to do that. Jethro says, "Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware." Isn't that a proverb? the The destruction of Amalek brought Jethro to his senses. Huh. Hmm. It's not interesting. Jethro was originally in the same plot with Amalek, both having incited Pharaoh against Israel. But when he saw that Amalek lost this world and the other, he repented of his sinful ways, say, saying, There is nothing left to me but to go out to go over to the God of Israel. Good decision there, Jethro. And although he he dwelt with the greatest wealth and honor. He determined to set out for the desert to Moses and his God. Arriving at the camp of Israel, he could not enter it, for it was enveloped by a cloud that none could pierce. Hence, he wrote a letter to Moses and shot it, out, shot it off with an arrow so that it fell into the camp. The read, I adjure you by your two sons and by your God to come to meet me and receive me kindly. If you will not do it for my sake, do it for your wife's sake. And if you will not do it for her sake, do it for your son's sake. For Jethro brought, brought with him his daughter Zipporah from whom Moses had been divorced, as well as her two sons, her, uh, her only children. For after her separation from Moses, she had, uh, she had wed no other man. At first, Moses was inclined to give ear, or to give no, no ear to this letter, but God said to him, I, through, through whose word the world came into being, I bring men to me and do not thrust them back. I permitted Jethro to me and did not push him from me. So do you too receive this man whom desires to betake himself under the wings of the Shekinah. Let him approach and do not repulse him. God herewith taught Moses that one should repulse with the left hand and beckon with the right. And that is something, by the way, that I've read before or in the, um, in the Jewish world, they always say, you know, that, uh, you need to push, push away with the, uh, with left and, and bring, bring towards you with the right hand. 
uh, so much of a Jewish uh, way of looking at it. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu gathered together with the 70 leaders of Israel, carrying with them the sacred ark, hastened to welcome Jethro kindly. And Moses so honored his father-in-law as to make obeisance before him and kiss him. Before Moses told his father-in-law of the great miracles God had wrought for Egypt, such as the exodus from Egypt, the cleaving of the sea, the rain of manna, and the rest, he offered him the greeting of peace. For great is peace that precedes event, that, pre, that precedes event he, pray, he prays of God. Uh, must be a typo in there. After the peace greeting, Moses, to draw his father-in-law near to true faith in God and his revelation, began to relate to him the miracles that God had wrought for them at the exodus from Egypt during the passing through the Red Sea. And during the war with Amalek, he said, moreover, in the manna that God gives us, we perceive the taste of bread, of meat, of fish, in short, of all the dishes there are. Out of the well that God gives us, we draw a, a drink that possesses the taste of old wine as well as new, of, of milk and of honey, in short, of all the beverages that exist. We shall, Moses continued, receive six other gifts from God, the land of Israel, the future world, the new world, the sovereignty of David, and the institution of priests and Levites. When Jethro heard all this, he determined to become a Jew and to believe in the only God, and although he felt a pang at heart upon hearing that the Egyptians had perished, for no one no one should scoff at the heathen before a proselyte who is not a Jew of his ten generations standing still, he burst into a song of praise to God for the deeds he had for uh, one for his people. In truth, it reflects shame upon Moses and the sixty myriads of Jews that they had that they had not given thanks to God for the Egypt until Jethro came and did so. He said, "Praised be God who delivered Moses and Aaron, as well as the whole nation of Israel, from the bondage of Pharaoh, that great and of the Egyptians." Truly. Great is the Lord before before all gods. For whereas formerly not a single slave succeeded in escaping from Egypt, he led sixty myriads out of Egypt. There is no God whom I had not at some time in my life worshipped. I I must admit that none is like the God of Israel. This God had not been unto me here to here for, but now I know him better, for his fame sound throughout throughout the world because he visited upon the Egyptians exactly what he had planned to undertake against Israel. They wanted to destroy Israel by water, and by water they were destroyed. The sacrifices, or excuse me, with sacrifices and a feast was the arrival of Jethro celebrated. For after he had made a burnt offering, not far from the bush of thorns had that had been unscathed by fire, Jethro prepared a feast of rejoicing for the whole people, at which Moses did not consider it 
below the dignity on guests in person. In this, he followed the example of Abraham, who in person waited on three angels, though they appeared in the, in the guise of idolatrous Arabs. Aaron, or excuse me, Abraham, like Moses, sought to follow in the ways of the Lord, to provide each according to his wants, and to grant to everybody what he lacks, whether he be a rust man or an idolater, through his sins conjures up God's wrath. To this feast, the people sat down according to their tribes. They ate, drank, and were merry, while Aaron and Jethro, with their relatives, sang songs of thanksgiving to God and praised him as the creator and donor of their lives and their liberty. I like that, donor of their lives. At the same time, they gave due appreciation to Moses, through whose curse everything had happily come to pass. In his words of gratitude to Moses, Jethro also gave expression to many glorious eulogies of the people of Israel, but he especially extolled Moses, who through difficulties and dangers had had shown so much courage in the salvation of his friends. Chapter 2 The Installation of the Elders Jethro who had come to Moses shortly before the revelation on Mount Sinai, stayed with his son-in-law for for more than a year. In the first months, however, he had no opportunity of observing Moses in in the capacity of judge. For Moses spent the time from the day of the revelation to the to the tenth day of Tishri, almost entirely in heaven. Hence, Jethro could not be present at the, at a court proceeding of his of his before the eleventh day of Tishri, the first day after Moses returned from he, from heaven. Jethro now perceived how Moses sat like a king upon his throne, while the people who brought their lawsuits before him stood around him. This this so displeased, he said to his son-in-law, Why do you sit yourself alone? And all the people stand, stand by you from morning till evening. Moses answered, As the people come to me to inquire of God, it is not in my honor that that they stand, but in the honor of God, whose judgment they would know. When they when they are in doubt over a case of uncle, of clean or unclean, or when there is a dispute between two parties which they desire to have settled exactly according to the law, or in conformity with a, with a compromise, they would come to me. And when the parties at dispute leave me. They, they part as friends and no longer enemies. I expound to the people besides the words of God and his decisions. On the day that Moses again took up his, his activity as a judge, and Jethro ha- had for the, time, for the first time the chance of observing him, he came, uh, came excuse me, the mixed multitude with pleas, that they, like the other Israelites, wanted their share in the Egyptians' booty. Moses' method, first seen by him in practice, struck Jethro as most absurd. And he, therefore, said, The thing that you do 
do is not good. Through delicacy, softening his, his real opinion, it is bad to, it is not good. The people, he continued, will surely upraise you and Aaron, his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders, if you continue in this fashion. But if you hearken now to voice, you will fare well, provided God approves of my plan. That is, that you shall be the vessel of the revelations of God, and shall lay the revelations of God before the people as often as you am. So they that may understand the exposition of Torah as well as its decisions, and you shall instruct them how to pray in the synagogues, how to tend the sick, how to bury their dead, how to render the services of friendship to one another, how to practice justice, and how in some cases not to insist on strict justice. But as for trying the people as judge, you, uh, sh you should, in accordance with your uh, prophetic insight, choose men that are possessed of wisdom, fear of God, modesty, hate of covetousness, fear of truth, or excuse me, love of truth, love of humanity, and a good name. And these shall devote all their time to trials and to study to the study of the to the study of the study of the Torah. I think there must be another typo there. If God approve my plan, then will you and Aaron, his and the seventy elders, and all the people dwell in peace. This council of Jethro's found great favor in Moses' eyes, for he had only too well aware of the difficulties and annoyances with which he had he had had to contend. The people were very disputatious, being willingly or being willing to send 70 silverlings of lit litigation costs for the sake of gaining one silverling, and did their utmost to lengthen their disputes at law. When, on say that Moses was about to cast a decision against him, he demanded that his lawsuit be adjourned, declaring that declaring that had witnesses and other proofs which he would bring on the next occasion, but they were not merely litigious and disputation and disputations, they were also spiteful and vented their temper on Moses. If Moses went out early, they would say, Behold, the son of Amram, who betakes himself early to the gathering of manna, that he may, that he may get the largest grains. If he went out late, they would say, Behold, the son of Amram, he goes through the multitude to gather in marks of, of hone. But if he chose a path aside from the crowd, they said, Behold the son of Am, who makes it impossible for us to follow the commandment to, to hone a sage. Then Moses said, If I did this, you were not content. And if I if I did that, you were not content. 
I can no longer bear you alone. The eternal, your God, has multiplied you. And behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord, God of your fathers, made, made, made you thousand times so many as you are and bless you and he has as he has promised you. The Israelites were not content with this, with this blessing of Moses and said to him, O our teacher Moses, I guess in Hebrew it would be Rabbi, Rabbi, Moses, we do not desire you to bless us. We have had much greater blessings given to us. God spoke to our father Abraham, I will bless you and in multiplying, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the sea the seashore, and you do limit our blessings. Moses cried, I am only a creature of flesh and blood, limited in my powers. Hence my blessing limited. I give you my blessing, but the blessing of God remains preserved for you. And he will bless you unlimitedly and multiply you as the fish of the sea and the sands on the, on the seashore, as the star in the sky and the planet the plants on earth. After he had bestowed his blessing upon them, he asked them to propose capable, pious men, their purpose, I should say. He asked them to purpose pious men that he might appoint them as judges and leaders over them. He said, quote, if a man were to present himself to me as a candidate for this position of honor, I alone should not be able to decide to which to what tribe he belongs and whence he came and from where he came. But you know them, you know them, and hence it is advisable for you to propose to propose them. Do not think, however, that I feel I must abide by your choice, for it depends solely upon me whether or not. I shall appoint them. The people were very eager to carry this plan of Moses into execution and requested him to settle the matter as quick possible. But their motive was self-interested. For everyone among them said, Moses will now appoint about 80,000 officials. If, my, if, if I myself should not be among them, Surely my son will be, will be, and, and if not, he, my grandson, and with a gift of some kind, it will be an easy matter to induce such a judge to look after my interest. Moses, of course, was not deceived about their, their true sentiments. Still, he paid no further attention to them. He picked out the, the best among the people though they were not possessed of nearly all the good qualities of Jethro and had thought essential for judges and leaders of, of with kindly words, he, inv he invited them to assume their offices and blessed are you that, that judged worthy of being leader of the children of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob of a people whom God called his friends, his brothers, his flock, and other titles of love. 
he impressed upon them that they must possess patience and must not become impatient if a lawsuit is brought before them more than once. Heretofore, he said, you belong to yourselves, but from now you belong... But for now, excuse me, how you belong to the people. For you judge between every man and his brother and his neighbor. If you are able to appoint judges, do so without respect of persons. Do not say, I will appoint that man because he is a handsome man or a strong man, because he is my kinsman or because he is a linguist. Such judges will, de- will declare the innocent guilty and the guilty innocent. Not through wickedness, but through ignorance. And God will reckon the appointment of of such judges against you as a perversion of justice on account of your respective persons. If a wealthy man and a poor man come before you to court, do not say, why should I insult the rich man for so small a matter? I will rather give judgment in his favor and then outside the court tell him to give the poor man what he demands and he is in the right but do not on the other hand if the poor man is in the wrong say the rich man is obliged to assist the poor anyhow i will now decide in in favor of the poor that in a decent way he may without begging obtain money from his rich fellow man do not, moreover, say, I fear to pronounce judgment, lest, lest that man kill my son, burn my barn, or destroy my plants, for the judgment is God's. After these admonitions, Moses instructed the new judges in legal procedure in both civil and criminal cases, and, the same, and at the same time urged the people not to deny the judges, the veneration, do him. For great is the importance of justice. For him who hates it, there is no remedy. But the judge who decides conscious, conscientious, conscientiously is a true peacemaker. For the wheel of Israel, I guess for the wealth of Israel, for the of the common of the commonwealth, and indeed of all living creatures, the next section is Jethro rewarded. Uh, see what else we got here. Yeah, we got the great deception saying, "I agree." The great deception says, "Much love and peace to you all. Good night. Much love and peace to you as well." The great deception. Good night to you, as well. Hope to see you again very, very soon, brother. Blessings multiplied to you. Byron says, "Have a good night to him." Byron says, "Shalom to him." Byron says, Shalom. Uh, uh, Shalom, Byron. Uh, you, were, you were here from the beginning, yes. Shalom to him. I was just checking. I thought you thought you said Shalom. I thought you, you greeted, greeted us with Shalom earlier, and yes, you did. Yeah, so you were saying Shalom to the Great Deception. Yes. Moses returned from heaven. Yes, we read about this um, earlier on in the Legends of the Jews. According to the Legends of the Jews, it says that Moses went to heaven 
and then came back. And so I believe that was on Mount Sinai or shortly thereabouts. Um, so yeah, if my memory serves me correctly. Joshua, welcome Joshua, good to see you. Since we are reading about Moses, I recently learned something new that I'd like to share. In Bamidbar, Rabbah, it states, by the way, that for those of you who don't know, it's Numbers, Rabbah. It states, like Moses, Messiah will be revealed, then hidden, then revealed again. This reminds me of Yeshua for his second coming. Man, Joshua, you have some really good stuff. You have some really good stuff. I like it. We saw Moses try to go to the Israelites and... And he killed the Egyptian, and the two Israelites didn't recognize him. He left. Then when it was time for, for the deliverance of Israel, Hashem sent Moses back. Awesome. This is pointing to Yeshua's second coming. It is, a, it is hidden in the Tanakh. Beautiful. That's just awesome, Joshua. It's awesome. Going nowhere says, I have heard that it is a sin to worry. Do you think that's true? Defining what worry is, because sometimes worry can be like concern. If you're concerned, just concern is something else. Worry, yes. I mean, if you're if it's worry to the point where you see, worry is like doubting God, right? You need to trust God. Do not worry. Um, trust God. Do not fear. There's a lot of worry is basically based on fear. So in that, in that sense, yes, it is. That would be, that would be, that would be true. Joshua says, also in Midrash, Rabbi, Rabbi Isaac explains, my beloved is like a gazelle. He has told us that he will come to us first. My beloved is like a gazelle. As a gazelle appears and then disappears. So the first redeemer appeared, then disappeared. Like I said, Joshua, very, very good stuff. Um, could I could I ask you to give me like give me the the reference for these for these passages that you're referring to? Could you could you give me the reference for that? Going nowhere, is it okay for Christians to fear death? Well, I, we read in the history of Joseph the carpenter that we read that Joseph did fear death. Uh, I, 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 generally speaking, we shouldn't. We shouldn't, okay? Um, I mean, we, we, should, we should want to live as long as possible for one thing. I mean, I mean, we only get one life, right? So we should want to live as long as possible to serve God and to serve others uh, as long as as long as we can, right? I mean, I want to live as long as possible. I want to be here for you guys as long as possible. Um, so, 
Yeah, there's a peace. There, there's a peace that you can have where you are, you know, you know everything is good with God, and and you, you know, when when your time has come, if it's not untimely, if it's not, because we read a few times throughout the scriptures how it says before your time, even like in the legends of the Jews and other places and other um, extra biblical books as well, where it talks about you can be taken before your time. In other words, you have a time allotted to you, but you can forfeit that. You can you can be gone before that for you know many many different reasons and many different things uh, can happen. But um, I mean, all is under God's watchful eye anyway. But uh, the idea is to have the fullness of what God originally wants for you. Joshua says, I never realized this. It was amazing how Hashem puts these things in the Torah. Yes, absolutely. I never realized this. It was ama- it's amazing that Hashem puts these little hints in the Torah. It is, in fact, the perfect word of God. Yes. Now I know how to defend my position if someone challenges me on the topic of Yeshua's second coming. Praise God. He is good. Yeshua really is the whole fulfillment of the Torah. Uh, before I go too far, Joshua, I can't, forgive me, I can't I can't remember if I mentioned this to you before or not. If I did, please forgive me. For those of you who are just listening now, um, um, maybe you didn't hear me say this, but another thing I think that points to Yeshua's second coming is, I, I've heard Jewish people say, you know, what's the matter? He couldn't do it the first time. You know, he, he couldn't do what he was supposed to do the first time. He has to come a second time. You know, what's the matter? He, you know, like he, uh, he couldn't fulfill the purpose the first time. But look at it this way. It says in Exodus chapter seven, that Moses is, is like a picture, like a type or stereo, like a stereotype, a type of God. Um, Aaron like the prophet. And we know that Yeshua is called the word of God, right? So when Moses came down from the mountain with the tablet in his hands, with the tablets, it's like God came down from from heaven with Yeshua. Moses broke the tablets. And then he went back up the mountain, got a second set of tablets, came down. It's like it's like that the, the word of God came back. Um I mean that could be that could be a symbol of his resurrection as well, where he was broken on the cross and then he came back to life basically, or he came back as a um, you know, as the new resurrected Messiah, uh, as as Moses came back with the new tablets. But it also, you know, I guess you could say it, it's it's a symbol of the second coming too. It's like the second coming of the tablets. So if any if anybody were were to say to me like what's the matter Jesus couldn't do it the first time, and if these people were, you know, of our beloved Jewish brothers and sisters, I would say, well, what happened? Like God's tablets wasn't enough the first time; he had to bring a second set. You know, I mean, so uh, he had to make a second set. Why did he have to make a second set? Why, you know, why did that have to be? Why did that have to come? Why did that? Why was that? part of the big plan because we know that was part of the big plan because God never rebuked Moses for, for smashing the tablets. Anyway, just a thought.
Joshua says, hey, I just wanted to say when I was growing in, into my knowledge of the scriptures, your TikTok videos really helped me and confirm things. Blessings to you and your family. Thank you very much, Joshua. Just out of curiosity, Joshua, is that the first, did you first run across my content on TikTok or was it somewhere else? If you don't mind, um, if you don't mind. Paulina, what do you think of the seed of the serpent doctrine? Um, okay, so the seed of the serpent doctrine, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, because in J John chapter 8, we have Yeshua calling people the sons of the devil. Okay, Then he says, I know you are Abraham's descendants. I know you're Abraham's descendants. So... And on a spiritual level, they were they were children of the devil. On a spiritual level, not biologically. Okay, um, yeah. I mean, same with Adam and Eve. Uh, Cain could have been on a spiritual level, biologically. If if he was biologically through Eve, that would completely destroy all of humanity because of the fact that Eve would have been defiled and every other descendant that came from her would have been defiled because she would have been one with, with the devil in like you be like when you have that union, when you have that union, the two become one flesh, right? Uh, so that would completely, yeah. Spiritually speaking, yeah. Uh, biologically, physically speaking, no. Uh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about two things here. I'm talking about the Jews in John chapter 8, when Jesus said, you are the children of the devil, and I'm talking about Cain. There are some, there's something else. There is the... Um, you know, the, the Nephilim and the, the descendants of the fallen angels as a, according to the book of Enoch uh, alluded to in Genesis chapter 6. Now they, you can say they were, okay, um, biologically, okay? You can say they were biologically. You see, this is the thing. If Eve were to lay with the devil, so to speak, like biologically, she would be biologically defiled. That would mean that every, uh, every succeeding child that comes from her would be defiled. Why? Because it says, like, for example, in Deuteronomy, it's totally against the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 24, if a man divorces a woman and that woman goes and marries another man, that man is forbidden to, to go back to that woman if that other man divorces her because they become one flesh. So you got all these different things mixed. Like she's already biologically one flesh with him, if you know what I'm talking about. She's already biological, biologically one flesh with him, so he, he can't bring that full circle. Um, in the same way, if Eve slept with the devil, Adam would, could not go into her, could not be with her at all. After that, it would be completely against the, the Torah, the law of God, and, and, and all of the law that God has established in regards to that 
you know, marriage and um, intimacy and all that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, that's what I think about that. Spiritually, yes. Biologically, no, except for the descendants of the fallen angels according to the book of Enoch, Genesis chapter 6, the book of Jubilees. In, in, in that's according to the book of Enoch, that's why God wiped them out in the flood. Because they were of, you know, they were of the wrong seed, okay? So he wiped them out in the flood. If, yeah, so I hope that helps. Um, if you have any more questions on that, please feel free to answer. I don't want to go on too much here, but uh, I mean, I don't want to over answer if you know what I'm talking about. Excellent question, Paulina. Joshua says, Midrash Rabbah ben Bamidbar 11. Excellent. You know, I am going to take note of that because that is just so absolutely amazing. Um, just. Uh, let me see. Yeah, just, just a second here, guys. Uh, just give me a second. Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah. Just give me a second, guys. Sorry about this, but I just want to make sure I don't miss that. Thank Joshua, you really made some awesome uh, observations there for sure. Okay. Thank you very much, Joshua. So Joshua says, I remember you said that, you saying that, and I wrote it down in my journal to remember that revelation you had. That is a very good point and is a strong point. Thank you very much.
Joshua says, I first ran across you on TikTok from the algorithm and your passion for your words in your videos really hit me. Uh, then I started listening to your teachings and Torah, and that really helped me grow. Passion for the scriptures in your videos. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you, Joshua. I appreciate that. Vida says, Shalom, Shalom, Vida. Good to see you. Welcome. Must be getting late there over there in Holland. Joshua says, Rashi's carry on the situation with the serpent is very interesting. I went through it earlier a couple months ago. I, I bought his commentary last year. Wow. Got one that needs a right boot out of fellowship, yes. Okay. Um, just give me a second. Okay, let's start off with Jethro. Jethro re rewarded. Very, very interesting. Isn't this a very interesting read tonight? This is super interesting. Okay, so Jethro rewarded. Although the installation of the elder of elders on Moses' part came to pass in accordance with the command of God, still it was Jethro upon whose advice Moses besought Moses besought God to lighten his burden and to permit him partly to trans to transfer the leadership of the people to others. Hence he did not conceal the name of the advisor but announced it to all the people and immortal, immortalized him as such in the Holy Scriptures. For he deemed it praiseworthy to appreciate duly the merits of others. However, being part of God's scheme to reward Jethro for the love he bore, to, uh, he bore the Torah. And for this reason did he allow it to come to pass that Moses had had to have his attention called to the plan of installing the elders through his father-in-law, that the Holy Scriptures might devote a whole chapter to the plan of Jethro. This, however, is not the, the only reward for Jethro's piety, who, in his love for the Torah, excelled all proselytes. A miracle occurred on the very first day of his arrival in Kermana, in his in his honor descended at the at the noon hour the hour of his arrival and moreover in as great quantities as was wont to rain down for 60 of israelites notice so many times it says 60 myriads 60 myriads so i suppose a myriad would be 10,000 right because it says in the scriptures that it's 600,000. And it says here many times, 60 myriads. He 
He did not have to exert himself to gather the food, for it came over his body, so that so all he had to do was to kiss hand to his mouth to partake of it. Jethro, nevertheless, not remain with Moses, but returned land. Moses, of course, tried to per- persuade his father-in-law to stay. He said to him, do, do not think that we shall continue to move thus slowly through the desert. No, we shall now move to the promised land. Amen. Let me just uh, want to deal with this one comment here. Christ is our Savior. I would say amen to that. Amen to that. Very good. Only to urge Jethro to stay longer with them did Moses use the words, we move, so that his father-in-law might believe that Moses would, uh, Moses too would enter the promised land. For otherwise, he would hardly have allowed himself to be persuaded to join the march to Palestine. Moses continued, I do not want to mislead you. Hence, I will tell you that the land will be divided only among the 12 tribes and that you have no claim to to possession of lands. But God bade us to be kind to the proselytes. For those of you who are not familiar with this, proselytes means those who converted, those who converted, right? And And to you, we shall be kinder than to all other proselytes. Jethro, however, was not to be persuaded by his son-in-law, considering himself in duty bound to return to his native land. For the inhabitants of his city had for many years made a habit of of having him store their valuable as none possessed their confidence in such a measure as he. If he had stayed still longer with Moses, people would have declared that he had absconded with all these things and fled to Moses to share it with him. And that would have been a blot on his fair name and that of Moses. Jethro had furthermore made many debts during, during the year in which he came to Moses for owing to the hail God sent upon Egypt before the exodus of Israel A great famine had arisen in Jethro's home too, and he had found himself obliged to lend money for the support of the poor. If he were not now to turn to his home, people would say that he had run away in order to evade his creditors, and such talk concerning a man of piety would have desecration of, of the divine name. So he said to Moses, there are people who a fatherland, but no there. There are also property holders who have no family, but I have a fatherland and have property there as well as a family. Hence, I desire to return to my, to my fatherland, my property and my family. But Moses would not yield to, so soon. 
and said to his father-in-law, if you do not accompany us as a, as a favor, I will command you to do so, that the Israelites may, might not say you had been converted to our religion only in the expectation of receiving share in the promised land, but had returned to your home when you did, when you did discover that proselytes have no claim on property in the Holy Land. Through your, through your refusal to move with us, you will give the heathens an opportunity to say that the Jews do not accept proselytes, since they did not accept even their own king's father-in-law, but allowed him to return to his own land. Your refusal will injure the glory of God, for the heathens will keep away from the true faith. But if you will wander with us, I assure you that that their seed shall share with us the temple, the Torah, and the future reward of the pious. How can you, moreover, who have seen all the miracles of God wrought for us during the march through the desert, who were a witness of the way in which the Egyptians became fond of us, how can you now depart from, from us? It is, a, it is a sufficient motive for you to remain with us in order to officiate as a member of the Sanhedrin and teach the Torah. We, on our part, want to retain you, only that you might, in difficult cases, enlighten our eyes. For you were the man who gave us food and fair counsel, to which God himself could not refuse his assent. Jethro replied, A candle may glow in the dark, but not when the sun and the moon of what avail could my candle light be. I had, therefore, better return to my home, my home city that I may make proselytes of, his, of, of its inhabitants, instruct them in the Torah, and lead them under the wings of the Shekinah. Amid great marks of honor and provided with rich gifts, Jethro returned to his home, where he converted his kinsmen and his com compatriots to the... Uh, to the belief in the true God as he had intended. Excuse me here. The descendants of Jethro later settled in Palestine, where the fruitful land of Jericho was allotted to them as a dwelling place. After the capture of Palestine, the tribes, the mutual consent, agreed that the fertile strip of land at Jericho should fall to the share of the tribe on whose land the temple was to be erected. But when its erection was postponed for a long time, they agreed to allot this piece of land to Jethro's sons, because they, being proselytes, had no other possession in the Holy Land. 480 years did the descendants of Jethro dwell in Jericho, when, upon the, er the erection of the temple at Jerusalem, they relinquished, in they relinquished it to the tribe of Judah, who claimed it as an indemnity for the site of the temple. 
Jethro's descendants inherited his devotion to the Torah, like him, dedicating their lives entirely to its study. Let me just stop here for a second. You know, there are a lot of people uh, in the world, especially in the Jewish world, that, that actually ha have done this. They have dedicated their entire lives to study the Torah and the Torah alone. Um, I don't know of any Christian that's done that. Christians throw it out, more or less, okay? And that does a great disservice to the Christian faith because according to the Christians, everything's based upon the Torah. The Torah is the foundation of the entire gospel, but they throw it out. What they should be doing, they should be doing what the Jews do, or at least learn from the Jews. Learn from those who have spent decades digging into the Torah. Perhaps, I mean, a lot of Christians need not to be so arrogant. Perhaps some people, some others who don't believe exactly the way they believe. By the way, it's okay to talk to people and to love people who don't believe exactly the way you believe. So Christians should kind of put aside their arrogance a little bit and actually talk to somebody or listen at least a little bit, at least a little bit, to people who have studied the Torah to see what they have to say. Moving on, so long as Joshua lived, they sat at this master's feet. But when he died, they said, we left our fatherland and came here only for the sake of studying the Torah. If we were now to spend our time in cultivating the soil, when should we study the Torah? They, therefore, gave up their dwelling place in, in Jericho and moved to the cold, barren wilderness to Jabez, who there had his house of instruction. But when they were... But when they beheld the priests, the Levites, and the noblest of the Jews, they said, How can we, proselytes, presume to sit before, before these? Instead of sitting within the house of instruction, they remained at the entrance of it, where they listened to the lectures, and in this manner made further progress into the study in the study of the Torah. They were rewarded for their prayer was heard by God, and their good deeds served as a protection to Israel. And on account of their pious actions, they were called the families of the scribes, the Tirathites, the Shemaithites, and the Shukathites, names designated, designating their piety and devotion to the Torah. One of the descendants of Jethro was Yonabah, Ronadab, excuse me, Yonadab, or Jonadab, son of Rechab, or Re Rechab, who, when he heard from a prophet that God destroyed the temple, bade all his children as a token of mourning to drink no wine, use no oil for anointing themselves, nor their hair, nor dwell in houses. The Rechabites, Rechabites, obeyed this command of their sire. And as a reward for this, God made a covenant with them that should always be members of the Sanhedrin, the teachers of Israel, and the teachers of Israel. The covenant with the Rechabites was even stronger than that with David. For to the house of the latter, God promised to keep 
the covenant only if his descendants were pious. But he made an unconditional covenant with the Rechabites. God rewarded them for their devotion to him in this way, although they did not belong to the Jewish nation. From this, from this one can gather how great would have been their reward if they had they had been Israelites. So the next passage here uh, is uh, the next part, I should say, is the time is at hand. And we'll get to that another time. Yeah, so to uh, this particular person who quotes this here, John 8, 44, you know, a lot of people actually, there are a lot of people who abuse this in the sense that especially people, uh, a lot of people who, who hate the, the, the people that Jesus, of Jesus, hate the lineage of Jesus, hate what nationality Jesus is. Okay, Yeshua here, Jesus was talking to only one little small group of all of the Jewish people. Remember, all of his life, he only, he said, I don't come for nobody else. I don't come for the Gentiles. I come for the house of Israel. All of his disciples he chose were Jews. He could have, if he wanted to, he could have traveled to the, to the Aztecs. And he could have called, he, he could have called the Aztecs. He could have called the Europeans at the time to be his, his disciples. He could have called anybody to be his disciples. He chose only the Jewish people. And in the book of Acts, all the way up into the Acts chapter 15, until finally there were so many Gentiles pouring into the, to the, you know, to want to join them. They didn't know what to do with the Gentiles. It's like, this is a Jewish thing. I mean, Jesus is a Jewish thing. The Messiah is a Jewish thing. Christianity, so to, so to speak as it's supposed to be, book of Acts, right? That is a Jewish thing. What are we supposed to do with the Gentiles? Can the Gentiles actually get saved? I mean, what are they supposed to do? Acts chapter 15. And I, I've even heard Jewish people say, quote this, John 8, 844, where Yeshua, where Yeshua spoke specifically only, only one time in all of his life. All of the scriptures, only one time. Did he speak to one small group of people and he called them the sons of the devil? He didn't call them all sons of the devil. And he was speaking to all Jews all the time with few, very few exceptions, like the Roman centurion or the Syrophoenician woman, few exceptions. But the rest of it was all Jewish people. And he loved them and he accepted them and he called them and he saved them in the gospels he did and in the book of acts he did okay so let's not take this out of context again this is um jesus is talking to the biological descendants of abraham how do i know that i'll show you Okay, so 
in verse 44. Let me just say here. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. In that very same chapter, okay, in that very same chapter when he when he called them the children of the devil, in John chapter 8, verse 37, he said, and these, by the way, are the words of Jesus himself. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, okay? I know that you are biologically Abraham's descendants. You are children of Abraham. I know. I mean, you're not acting like it, but, but I know you are. Okay. Spiritually, not, but... Physically, yes, you are. Okay. So it's very important not to abuse John 8, 44. Because in so doing, a lot of harm has been done to a lot of people. A lot of people. And a lot of Jews have rejected their Messiah because of it. We got to be very careful with that. Julie says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Julie. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay. So that will, that, I think we got all the other, com all, all of the questions and comments. So that, that is it for tonight. Well, thank you again, guys, for your questions, for your comments. I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. Uh, as always, tomorrow, Lord willing, tomorrow we will continue with our nightly fellowships and reading the scriptures and discussing some very, very interesting things. Amen. Very, very interesting things. So, again, thanks. Thanks again for. Um, for your uh, for your questions, your comments, your fellowship, Joshua Foot here. Just before we go, we got some comments here. Another cool pointing to a second coming is the two entrances. When it's said in Daniel, he will come in the clouds of heaven, and in Isaiah, it speaks of him riding on a donkey, meaning the Messiah has to be has to be deemed worthy first before he he is anointed, just like Daniel with Samuel in Psalms. 18 uh, 20 through 24 regarding reward for righteousness. If he is worthy of reward after suffering, he will come. Awesome, Joshua. Again, very, very awesome point. He will come with the clouds, and Yeshua is worthy from what we what we're reading in Revelation. Also, Hebrews. Chapter 2, verses 9 to 12, talks about the reward after suffering. Very, very good, Joshua. Excellent. And 1 John 2.26 says, Thank you, Christopher. Shalom. Thank you, brother. Julie says, Thank you, Christopher. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. Blessings multiplied to you guys. Vinny says, thank you, Christopher. God bless you all. Shalom. God bless you as well. Multiplied back to you. Okay, guys. I'll see you again tomorrow night. Same time, same place. Joshua says, shalom. Good night. The tower time says, 
Thanks for sharing, brother. Oh, did you happen to get a hold of Brother Heston? No, I haven't. Haven't got a hold of him. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Thank you again, uh, the Tower Time. Thank you again for reminding me. Okay, guys. Thanks again. And I'll see you again tomorrow night, Lord willing, 7 p.m. Eastern, same time, same place. Amen. As always, I pray for each one of you. The Lord bless you and keep you and make your make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.